Therefore I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. This is Jonathan Smith, and welcome to the In His Grip radio broadcast. Join me for the next few minutes for old-fashioned singing and preaching. When you think you're about to lose grip on faith and life, remember this, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Good afternoon, listeners. We're going to be in Psalm chapter number 9 this afternoon. Psalm chapter number 9. I like this psalm. The title for today's chapter is The True Judge. The True Judge. So Psalm chapter number 9, we do have a few verses to read this afternoon, so we'll get right into it. Um, 20 verses in the chapter number 9. I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will show forth all thy marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in thee. I will sing praise to thy name, O thou most high. When my enemies are turned back, they shall fall and perish at thy presence. For thou hast maintained my right and my cause, thou saddest in the throne judging right. Thou hast rebuked the heathen, thou hast destroyed the wicked, thou hast put out their name forever and ever. O thou enemy, destructions are come to a perpetual end, and thou hast destroyed cities, their memorial is perished with them. But the Lord shall endure forever. He hath prepared his throne for judgment, and he shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall minister judgment to the people in uprightness. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee, for thou, O Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. Sing praises to the Lord which dwelleth in Zion. Declare among the people his doings. When he maketh inquisition for blood, he remembereth them, for he forgetteth not the cry of the humble. Have mercy upon me, O Lord. Consider my trouble which I suffer of them that hate me. Thou that liftest me up from the gates of death, that I may show forth all thy praise in the gates of the daughter of Zion. I will rejoice in thy salvation. The heathen are sunk down in the pit that they made. In the net which they hid is their own foot taken. The Lord is known by the judgment which he executeth. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. Higion, Selah. The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten. The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the heathen be judged in thy sight. 
Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. Selah, if that's correctly read, that is chapter 9 of the book of Psalms. So once again, in this psalm, just as we have seen in the other psalms, we can find the age-long problem between the righteous and the wicked. So we can see this is just a trend, as I said. You'll find this a lot through the book of Psalms. And in this chapter, nevertheless, is the same thing. A contrast, if you will. We can see the righteous. We can see the wicked. This is something that we find even unto this day. So as we look, we can see that there is discouragement, a lot of discouragement on every side. But we can take hope in this one fact, that the Bible, the Scriptures, they tell us that even though we as the saints can be done wrong, even though uh, it seems like at times things are not done justly, we can also see that sinners will prevail in the end. When justice comes, that we, the saints, will prevail. All wrongs in the past will be made right. The books, if you will, will be balanced, and God will have the final say. So we can see that uh, Psalm number 9 today is going to be very closely linked, if you will, with what we'll be looking at next week in Psalm chapter number 10. They are very closely intertwined or related. Psalm chapter 9 that we're looking at today is going to look at the wicked that are without. Psalm number 10, which we'll look at next week, will look at the ungodly that are within. So today we're going to be looking at the wicked that are without. Righteousness and wickedness can never get along or be together. God and evil will always, has been, is, and always will be mortal enemies. So God and evil are always against each other, and as believers, we must take a stand for what is right, and we must take a stand against that which is wrong. Again, it may seem like we are catching the short end of the stick, if you will, but one day when the true judge steps on the scene, we know that we will prevail. As one preacher said, I've read the back of the book and we win. So we're going to be looking at a couple things this afternoon and four little points. And the first thing we're going to look at is about praise. We're going to look at worship, if you will. So first of all, this afternoon, we're going to look at the praise to the person of God. We're talking about the true judge, God, Jehovah himself. So the praise to the person of God. So in with this psalm, we can notice that um, we are giving praise to God. He starts off with that, I will praise thee, O Lord. And we'll look at that in just a second. The previous psalms, 
up until this point, starting in chapter number one, working our way up to chapter number eight, we can see that the emphasis is on prayer. We can find the prayer of the psalmist. But in this chapter, we find the emphasis is on praise. We'll find that in the first couple verses that we find a fourfold, if you will, this phrase, I will. So we see the four I wills in in this passage. It says, I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will show forth all thy marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in thee. I will sing praise to thy name, O thou most high. So we can see that we can see that man should be the leader, if you will, in song of a great choir of praise to God. It is man that should take the first step and the leadership, if you will, of praise. The Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You find that in Ephesians chapter number 5 and verses 19 and 20. Now, I want you to notice where the beginning, where the starting point of this praise is. So when we look at it, speaking to yourself in Psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody, where? In your heart. I want to point out that if praise is to begin with man, it also must begin and it must come from the heart. The heart is the instrument of praise, if you will. The mouth, our lips, is merely just the amplifier of what is in the heart. We know that the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So when we think of praise, most people are thinking of words, if you will, of praise. And that is true. The mouth is the amplifier, but the heart is the instrument of praise. You see that the psalmist states that he has blessed me and I will glorify him. You know, thankfulness should be out of the depths of your heart. One would say gratitude, which is kind of the same thing, but to me, just a little more weight. To me, gratitude is a deeper feeling of, of thankfulness, if you will. But gratitude or thankfulness, whichever word that you want to use, should make singers, should make worshipers, should make praise people out of all of us. Now, I would have you keep in mind that prayer is where we think of ourselves most of the time. But in praise, our attention is giving to God. It is given only to Him. Again, let me repeat that. Prayer, at a lot of times, we are thinking of ourselves. But when praise begins in our hearts and comes out of our mouth, our attention is given toward Him. Now, the kind of praise that the psalmist is speaking about here is not just lip service, if you will. It is not something that is just coming from our mind, or as some would say, from the head, but it is deep-rooted, and it comes from the depths 
of the heart. And from the depths of this heart, it can only and must lead to a surrendered life. So when we look here at the the praise that we're talking about here in Psalm chapter number 9, again, it must become from the heart. It must be rooted from the depths of the heart. Yes, it will resort in coming from the lips and from the mouth, but it is more than just lip service. It is more than just knowledge from the head. It comes from the heart and it always has the consequence, if you will, or the evidence of a surrendered life. True praise is just an overflow feeling of what is inside of us. So you might say, this is not worked up emotion. This is not emotion that has to be primed. It's not an emotion that has to be uh, pumped, if you will. It is literally a spontaneous outburst of gratitude. Have you ever had that happen to yourself? Have you ever been in a service to where you just had the case of what they call the can't help it? It's not something that somebody had to pry up. It's not somebody that had to throw gas on a fire, if you will. It is literally an outburst of gratitude, but it starts with the heart. It results in the surrendered life, which brings upon that overflow of feeling, which is that spontaneous outburst of praise. Verse number 11, it tells us, Sing praises to the Lord. Declare among the people His doings. This is a speaking testimony, if you will. Yes, it starts in the heart, but you must do this with your lips. Can I tell you this? Those that trust in God will and must testify of that. You know, to the saints, to the child of God, it is not only something that you're expected to do, but it is your duty. It also is should be your delight. Let me say that again. Your lips, your mouth, which is speaking praise that is a reflection of the heart, it is not only your duty, but it also should be your delight to proclaim the mighty works of God. You know, the last part of verse number one, it says, I will show forth all thy marvelous works. Now, this not only is a speaking testimony, but it also is a serving testimony. You know, words come cheap, or some say words are cheap. But some say, show me what a person does, and I'll show you who he is. And there's different variations of that. But, you know, words are great, but works are even better. Now, we are not saved by works, but because of our salvation, we should have works. And when we are to praise God, again, from the heart, which results in a surrendered life, which also has the fruits of that overflow feeling of an outburst, the spontaneous outburst of gratitude, which will be praise. Not only is that done through lips, and but it also has to do with your life. So like I said, words are great, but your works are better. You know, the lost had rather someone show them the way rather than Tell them about the way. You know, you can tell somebody about God all you want, but when your life speaks of God, 
it is spoken way uh, more powerful than your words ever could express. And that life can also water down or discredit the lip service, if you will. That's why we're in the shape that we're in today. Is because people have so much words, but they have no works. And if our works are to amplify our lips, which amplify the heart, then that leads them to the cross. That leads them to Christ. But I'm afraid that most of us, there's a lot of people that have lip service, but they have no heart. So the lip service is not coming from the heart, which is why the works are not matching up, because the works will be a direct reflection of the heart, which means the words mean nothing. You know, our churches need to be more happy. They need to be more excited. They need to be much more in praise than we have been. We've got a case of too many sad sacks, you know, Kalijah, the wooden Indians, and I'm convinced it's that because lip service is not going to get the job done. It is should be a reflection of the heart. But when the heart is filled with gratitude, it will produce the lips of praise, but it also will produce the lives of service. And when we look down in verse 14, and we'll read that real quick, that I may show forth all thy praise in the gates of the daughter of Zion. I will rejoice in thy salvation. You'll find that the in addition to the praise of the person of God, that there also should be praise for the provisions of God. You know, salvation is a wonderful, it is a grand thing in the life. And those who have experienced this blessing, this provision, we should be singing and praising from the rooftops to God about what He has done in our lives. Now, how many have you personally told about what God has done for you? Even if He's never done anything after salvation, just the fact that He saved you from hell, you should never get over that fact. You should never uh, get uh, 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 complacent, if you will, about that. Never take your salvation for granted. Rejoice in it. Tell others about it and praise the Lord for it. So we can see the praise to the person of God and a praise for the provisions of God. But number two this afternoon, I want to look at the power in the presence of God. i got to move quickly. We're running out of time, and I still have three more points. But the power in the presence of God. We see that the first few verses, there is a fourfold I wills. But that is a result of the fourfold of thou hast that we find in verses number four and five. It says thou hast four times. These are what produced the four I wills. So notice that the presence of the Lord brings peace to his people, but it brings panic to his foes. When we look at what God will do, it should always bring panic to the foes, but it will bring peace to his people. You know, God is always faithful to his own. The Bible tells us that, for thou hast maintained my right and my cause. You know, the word maintain, it means to support or to sustain without letting up. So God will support, support, he will sustain 
without letting up your right and your cause. Philippians 1 6 tell us, tells us this being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. We find that in the Bible. 1 Thessalonians 5 24 also states this faithful is he that called you, who also will do it. Now, this should settle any question about eternal security or say, do you believe in that once saved, always saved? Absolutely, because it is scriptural. Because the Bible tells us and is very clear about eternal security. You know, all that are safely kept are hid with Christ in God. When God starts something, I can assure you, he will finish it. God is not like us. He will not do things halfway. He will do it all the way. Therefore, if he has converted, if he has saved your soul, he will also change your body. You know, your redemption, which was started, which it began at Calvary, it will be completed at the throne. We're talking about the true judge this morning. We've already looked at the praise of the person of God, but now we're looking at the power in the presence of God. He will be faithful to his own, but God will also be frank to them that are not his own. He calls sin exactly what it is, sin. He warns, he rebukes before he destroys. God always rules in righteousness. And those who trust God will be redeemed. But those who reject God will be ruined. So let me tell you, God will be faithful to his own, but he's going to be upfront, honest, and frank to them that are not his own. So we see the praise of the person of God. We see the power in the presence of God. But now let us look at the preparation for the punishment of God. You find this in verses 7 and 8. Again, the preparation for the punishment of God. But the Lord shall endure forever. He hath prepared his throne for judgment, and he shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall minister judgment to the people in uprightness. Now, not only does God rule in righteousness, but he will judge also in that same righteousness. He's not only going to judge your actions, but he's also going to judge people's attitudes. He knows your thoughts just as much as he knows your deeds. There is not one ounce of flexibility in God's standard by which he will judge. He will use his word, which is forever settled in heaven. It will not change, even though men have tried to change it, which is why I believe in the King James Bible. And the God who will judge your actions will also judge your attitudes. He knows your thoughts. He knows your deeds. He will not waver. He will not be flexible, not even in the secrets of your heart. And he will reveal the secrets of your heart. In verse number 7, you will find that uh, over against the perishing wicked is the eternal God. He sits upon an eternal throne. 
kings, presidents, they die. Their kingdoms, their rule, or their oversight, if you will, will perish. But God, He is a king forever, and His government there will be no end. I want you to keep in mind that those that insist and those that always are persistent, if you will, in breaking God's laws, they um, they will be broken themselves in the end. God's laws, they're made for our good, and He insists that they be kept. And those that will not keep it will suffer the judgment. Notice the contrast in verse 5 and verse 10. It's a contrast between their name and his name. And then he says that they're going to be put out, but he will be put in. And all those who put their trust in God, they're going to be uh, uh, they're going to be dealt with righteously, and those who reject God will be also judged righteously. But when they reject Him, they will meet their doom at the great white throne judgment. We will get mercy and not justice, while they get justice and not mercy. So then, as we get to the conclusion today, not only we see the praise to the person of God or the power in the presence of God and the preparation for the punishment of God, we will see the prevailing over the provokers of God. Verses 19 and 20 says, Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the heathen be judged in thy sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. I want you to realize and never forget that mighty people, they are nothing but mortal men. And it's not how you begin, but it's how you end that counts. I want you to notice the end of those that have no time or thought for God. That Here's what it says in chapter number 9, and, and we're looking at some verses here. The heathen are sunk down in the pit that they made. In the net which they hid is their own foot taken. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. So do not be mistaken this afternoon that the sinner will be snared and slain by his own sins. You know, someone said this, all the pits into which men fall are self-dug. You know, human misery and ruin, that wasn't created by God. Man created that for himself. Man is his worst enemy. And those that forget God here in this passage will find that he does not know them there. Those who do not have time for God now will have all eternity with the devil. Sinner, I want you to beware of the wrath that is long delayed. Justice always settles old debts. I want you to think about that for a minute. The sinner is snared and is slain by his own sins. And justice always settles old debts. And the child of God, I want you to remember this. People, they may forget God, but God will never forget his people. 
God will never forsake them. So even though it seems like we're catching the short end of the stick, remember, God has not forgotten you. God cannot forget you. And he never will forsake you. Therefore, that which is bitter to endure may be sweet to remember. This is the reason that the psalmist cried, I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. So getting back to the true judge, let us as a child of God, we don't have to fear the judgment, but let us praise him from the abundance of the heart, which leads us to hopefully a surrendered life. And from that gratitude, from the depths of the heart, and that surrendered life, may our lips, may our mouth rejoice with words that will lift him up, but not only just our lips, but may our lives point people to the cross and point people to him because he is the almighty God and he is and always will be the true judge. We have now come to the end of our time today. I hope and pray that today's broadcast was a help and blessing to you. If you wish to contact me, you can email me at inhisgrip at inbox.com. Again, that is inhisgrip at inbox.com. But before I go, I just want to remind you one more time that you are in His grip. Isaiah 41.13 says, For I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. Join us at the same time next week for more old-fashioned singing and preaching. I am Jonathan Smith, and thank you for tuning in. You have been listening to the In His Grip radio broadcast.